Anybody else uh, happen to catch Bryn over here acting out Psalm 23? We have an elementary school teacher in our midst. She's little, they're following me, little hand motions all the way through. That's nice. Take the teacher out of the school, right? But you can't take the school out of the teacher. So we're doing a series on the kingdom of heaven. We've been at it for, I don't know, Quig, what? Like four weeks? Where'd you go? Four or five weeks, maybe? Forever, yeah. By the time it's the third week, Quig thinks it's been like 17 weeks. It's like, how much longer are we in this thing? But what we're, what we're seeing is that Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven all the time. And uh, in particular, he seemed pretty excited about the fact that there's a new kingdom because there's a new king on the cross Jesus was crowned as king. But the crazy thing, there's so many strange things about this new kingdom, but maybe the strangest is that while many people have overthrown rulers and taken up a throne by killing their enemies, Jesus became king by being killed by his enemies. And everything in this kingdom is backward. The way up is down. You win by losing. You save your life by losing your life. You gain everything by giving everything away. Everything is backward. And our passage this morning is just one more example of that, of the inverted kingdom. Jesus' Jesus's disciples asked him a question. They just said to him, hey, uh, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And I'm not exactly sure what they meant by that question, what aspect of it. Perhaps they were asking, you know, who's the wisest in the kingdom of heaven? Maybe they wanted to know who's the most powerful. Who is it that has the highest rank, the greatest measure of authority? Who's the goat, right? Who's the greatest of all time? Who is the most talented? Or maybe they just wanted to know, Jesus, who is your favorite, right? Have you ever seen this? Jesus loves you, but we all know that I'm actually his favorite, right? And Jesus responds to this the way he always does, and he inverts it all. Everything is backward, okay? Here's how the passage goes. Watch his answer to this. So Matthew 18, again, verse 1 says, At that time... The disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And with that, Jesus underscored the primary virtue of the kingdom. Now, despite the fact that he talks about it constantly and that he modeled it perpetually, I would really be surprised if 10% of Christians could correctly identify the chief virtue of the kingdom. Could you? Do you know what it is? It is hands down humility. And we can make an overwhelmingly powerful case that this is the primary case, the, pri- the primary virtue. And I would say for the first 20 years of my life as a Christian, I didn't know that. Most of those years were spent in full-time ministry. And I could not have told you that humility is the primary virtue of the kingdom. It took a guy named Andrew Murray, who wrote a book titled Humility, to teach me this. And I remember distinctly the first time I read his book, as he's making the case that humility is what God chiefly wants from us. He, he calls it the, the root from which all other virtues spring. And as, he, as I read his book, I had this overwhelming experience of like, oh my goodness, this is true. This is, this is the right answer, but I didn't know it. And even as I'm reading you saying it, I can feel it leaking out the back of my head. Like I'm forgetting what you're saying and I'm like, oh, wait, 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 that was important. How did that go? And literally, this is the only time in my entire life I've ever read a book like this. I read the preface 
And then I read it again, and then I read it again. I read it three times before I read chapter one. And then I read chapter one three times before I read chapter two. And I read chapter two three times before I read chapter three. And it's not that complicated of a book, okay? It's not like reading a calculus textbook. But as I was reading this, I'm like, this is, this is the infrastructure upon which we need to build our lives. And I've never really been taught it in a formal way. And I had this overwhelming sense of like, this is true. This is the chief virtue, even as it was slipping through my fingers. Um, Murray's argument is, I think, brilliant. He makes an overwhelmingly compelling case. He begins in the preface. He makes the observation that there are three great virtues for humility, that, that humility uh, befits us as creatures, as sinners, and as saints. And here's what this means. That because we're creatures, we're made by God, and our proper position as a creature before the Creator is that we should just humbly depend on Him. But number two, because we're sinners and we've made such a mess of things and our lives are marked by ruin and rebellion, it's like, who am I to bow up against God? Like, I should really remember my place as a sinner. And then finally, as a saint, as one who has received so much grace and so much mercy, I've been showered with things that I do not deserve. How could I possibly be arrogant? My life should just be marked by humility in light of all of the undeserved goodness that just flows through my life, right? But then he goes on to make this point. He says, those, all three of those are true, but the church focuses almost exclusively on the humility that is suitable to sinners and to saints. But we should focus almost exclusively on the humility that is due us as creatures. Because humility is not a punishment. It's not like, hey, you screwed up, so get back in your hole. And, and humility is not a penance. You've, given, you've been given so much, how dare you ask for more. It was actually plan A all along from the very beginning when God made the world his plan his purpose his desire was that we would humbly depend on him and the proper ground and the proper seating for us to really understand what does it mean to be a humble person is not I'm such a bad person maybe I should sin some more so that I can have a deeper understanding of my need for humility right it's not our sinnerness and it's not our saintliness it's our creatureliness that this was the point and then when Jesus comes and he models perfect humility he wasn't modeling the humility do someone as a sinner and he wasn't modeling the humility do someone who's received so much grace he was just showing us this is what we meant from the very first moment you are a creature and the proper place for a creature is, is a spot of humility and it's a gift it's not a it's not a penalty when uh when when covid hit you know whenever that was 300 years ago kelly and i Started doing these fireside chats we were on Facebook. We had a bunch of things we were doing, different staff on, uh, on the evenings. And Kelly and I taught on this, this concept of humility from Andrew Murray's book. We read through the book. They're still on CHS's Facebook page. If you're interested, you can go back and find them. Or you can just purchase Murray's book, which I really recommend you do. It's short. It's like 80 or 90 pages. Um, but it's, it's the most impactful thing that I have ever read. And I really hope that you'll pick it up. I want to give you an excerpt. I want to try to like lure you in to read this book. Here's what Murray says. This is, this is insightful. He says, When God created the universe, it was with the one object of making the creature partaker of his perfection and blessedness. And so, showing forth in it the glory of his love and wisdom and power. God wished to reveal himself in and through created beings by communicating to them as much of his own goodness and glory as they were capable of receiving. But this communication 
was not a giving to the creature, something which it could possess in itself, a certain life or goodness of which it had charge and disposal? By no means. But as God is the ever-living, ever-present, ever-acting one who upholds all things by the word of his power and in whom all things exist, the relation of the creature to God could only be one of unceasing, absolute, universal dependence. That's Murray's thesis, and I think he's exactly right. It's a little bit like when you were made, you were, you were made to be plugged into this enormous power source that would give you everything that you need, but you, were not, you don't have a battery there was never any plan that you could ever unplug and then still function for two hours or three hours or a month or a year or 20 years. You are always meant to be plugged in. It's what Jesus is saying in John 15. All of his language about, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is always the plan. Not because you're a sinner and not because you're a saint, but because you're a creature. This was always the plan. You were not made to be great. You were made to depend on someone who was great, who would live his life through you. This was always the plan. Here's how he summarizes his case. Again, this is Murray. He says, Humility, the place of entire dependence on God, is the first duty, the highest virtue of the creature, and the root of every virtue. First duty, highest virtue, the root of every virtue. So I wonder, do this with me. We're going to play a little game. Can you think of the places in the gospel where Jesus teaches on humility? I'm going to ask you also about places where he lives it out. Don't worry about those. Just think of his teaching, okay? What is Murray basing his claim upon when he says that this is the prevailing idea, this is the chief virtue? And I want you to just, in your mind, and I want you to turn to your friends, whoever you came with, whoever you're sitting next to, just take 30 seconds and just chat about this. Where are the passages that you can draw up in your mind where Jesus is talking about the primary virtue of humility? Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that's your source material. So just take a minute and just chat it up, and then I'll, I'd love to hear what you guys discover. Okay, so go. Humility in the teaching of Jesus. Murmur. Where does he talk about it? Talks about it lots of different places. Humility in Jesus' teaching. All right. I know that wasn't much time, but I'm sure there's different ideas that have come to you. So where does Jesus talk about humility? Where can we begin to make this case in support of what Murray claims? Okay, what's <laughs> Matthew 18 would happen to be our text this morning, so that is a good answer. It's a safe answer. Absolutely true. Very good. The kingdom is given to those like children who are humble. Excellent. Where else? Yeah, Jason? Beatitudes, right? So that's the Sermon on the Mount. What, what, what in particular? Are you thinking of any lines? Great. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. He's, he's depicting those that, have, that there's a lowliness. He says, happy is, blessed are, good things come to the lowly, the meek. Very good. Where else? Yeah, super loud. Okay, that's a, very, that's a very strong depiction of him saying, you know what, I'm going to subordinate what I want to what you want. That is an incredibly humble act. Excellent example. Where else? Teaching, Jesus teaching on humility. It's all over. Think of his parables, think of the stories he told. 
Oh, great. That's a great story. So he, he says, hey, listen, when you go to a dinner, when you go to a party, sit at the foot of the table, and then they'll say, why'd you take such a crummy seat? And they'll scoot you up. Don't sit at the head of the table where they're going to be like, yo, what are you doing? Move down a few notches. And he, he uses it to illustrate this principle. And he shares this principle many times. He says, those who humble, will you tell me, those who humble themselves will be exalted, but those who exalt themselves will be crashed, right? Will be, will be humbled. It shows up there. Where else? Everywhere. It's lots of other stories, moments where Jesus teaches on this. Washing the disciples' feet, okay? So they're, it's, the, it's the night before he's going to be crucified, and they're all arguing, and nobody wants to do the dirty work, and everybody wants to kind of have the place of honor, and Jesus just quietly gets up, and he goes around, wraps a towel around his waist, and he washes their feet and blows their minds, right? It's totally different. Yeah, quick. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Very good. So he, he's, he, he talks about it all the time. He tells a story, you guys, famously, the story of um, the, the tax collector and the, uh, who's the other one that's with him? The Pharisee, I guess, that are there praying. And the, and the first one's like, you know, God, I thank you that I'm so great and I'm so amazing. So thanks for all that. And then the other one says, he just beats his breast and, and humbles himself before God. And Jesus says, is this guy, the tax collector that you all hate, but who was humble before me, he's the one that's going to go home justified. He says, it's, I mean, over and over again, he says, let's see, um, let me pick one. There's a million. He says, oh, he says in Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says this about leadership. He says, you know, this is in Matthew 20, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them not so with you instead whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave quick just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many right all the time you, you could scarcely read through matthew mark luke or john and not find jesus talking about humility or even functioning in, you know, functioning in deep humility. So shift your gears for a little bit from his teaching to his actions. Can you think of things, you've actually kind of begun into this, but where do you see Jesus living this out in a, in a, in a dynamic demonstration before his people? Where is he showing this humility as a way of life? Yeah, again, Jason. Great, yes, that's right. And so you, when you say the beginning of his ministry, we can even say beginning of his life, he's born in a barn, right? Beginning of his ministry, he goes and he humbles himself before John. And it's like, and, and John's like, what am I doing baptizing you? And he's like, no, no, let's do this. Let's fulfill all righteousness. You go to the end of his life, right? And the most obvious example is his own death, that he, is, he humbles himself and becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. And in between there, he's constantly saying this. If you go through John's gospel, one thing you'll, you might notice, and in fact, I'll suggest an exercise to you in a second, but if you go through John's gospel, he is constantly saying something to the effect of, I don't say anything that the Father didn't tell me to say. I don't do anything that the Father didn't tell me to do. This is the one guy in all of human history who could function absolutely independently, and he doesn't. He humbles himself subordinates himself under the authority of the Father and he does whatever the Father tells him to do and nothing else. And then he says, I, 
I couldn't. I won't. I will. It's not even a thing. I will only function as a, as a dependent being, which is a little bit weird to us because we're like, yeah, but Jesus, you're God. So what's that all about? And he is God, but he's also the perfect human being. And he's come to live out this life of perfect lowliness and humility and dependence. And it just absolutely permeates his life. All the stuff that Murray is saying here is spot on and is richly lived out in the Gospels. So I, what, I'd, what I'd invite you to do if, you, if you'd like to kind of go deeper into this is make a decision just between now and say Christmas. It gives you, what is that, like three months? October, November, yeah. So about three months. You could go through and just read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but read it with a pen. And just underline every time you see Jesus teaching on humility, every time you see him demonstrating or manifesting that, I think you would be shocked how often this comes up over and over and over again. You can understand the story of Jesus' life specifically through the lens of his choosing to take the lowest place, choosing to subordinate himself, choosing to be the humble one, okay? And if you do that, if you were to go through and you run that whole process, it might be that you would decide that you would like to grow in the grace of humility yourself. And if you do, and you decide you'd like to do that, I want to suggest to you a process sincerely that you could do to do this. Four steps to grow in humility, but you got to stay to the last step, okay? So here's step one. Notice it in Jesus. Just complete that exercise. Just make a decision. Go through, read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Read through the lens of humility. Watch the Gospels and look at for, look it in Jesus' eyes and just make notice of every time you see him choosing the lowest place, every time you see him advocating this to the disciples, Okay? Step number two, notice how incredibly beautiful it is. The secret of his graciousness, of his kindness, of the way that he transforms the world around him is in the self-evidential goodness of his humility. The way that people that would be afraid to approach a holy person are never afraid to come to him. He creates this sense of welcome and warmth. Just notice and delight in what is so beautiful and so glorious about his actual humility and then third try it just make it a point make a conscious decision next week at work choose the least comfortable seat volunteer for the most undesirable task Take upon yourself, whatever is, what is the most dishonorable role? That every year at the office party, who's going to do this? And everybody stands back because nobody wants the crummy job. Volunteer first, okay? When you're in a car, claim back middle, all right? You know, you got a shotgun, I want front right. No, claim back middle, all right? How about this? When you try to control a situation, but you don't get your way, accept it. Don't appeal. Just Take it and stop trying to control everything because you're so much smarter than everybody and you know the way that things ought to be. Just take it. Someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other, the other also. Or how about this? When you're accused, somebody's accusing you of something that you didn't do, this would be almost impossible. Don't defend yourself. Allow yourself to be maligned. And the kind of the converse of that is when somebody else is getting credit for something that you did, I did that, they didn't, I did that. And somebody else is getting credit for that, just let it go. Just try to get through the week without demanding that you get your rights, okay? So that's step three. Step one is you just read, notice it in Jesus. Step two, notice how glorious it is in Jesus. Step three is try it. And do you know what step four is? 
when you realize that you don't have a chance of doing this because it's just too hard and you defend yourself every chance you get and you insist on getting the seat that you deserve, when you realize that you can't do it, surrender to him and let him do it in you. But try it first. And let that, let that failed attempt, when it absolutely does not work, drive you to the Spirit, that you might yield to him so that he might live his life out in you instead of you grinding this out in your own power. Here's how Murray puts it. Here's his, here's his plan all combined up. He says, let us study the character of Christ until our souls are filled with the love and admiration of his lowliness. And let us believe that when we are broken down under a sense of our pride and our impotence to cast it out, that Jesus Christ himself will come in to impart this grace to as a part of his wondrous life in us. That his humility will become your humility as he lives his life through you. This is what it means to be a member of the kingdom. Everything is, it's a strange kingdom, you guys. Everything is backward. And if you want to live out in step with the king of the kingdom, then the chief virtue must become your virtue. And indeed, it will be the root of every other. All right? All right, let's pray. Jesus, you are the humble one. You are the one that took the lowest place and was exalted to the highest place. We have a new kingdom because we have a new king because you were exalted because you stooped infinitely low. Would you give us the grace to follow you in this, to choose the low places, to submit to authority, to bend the knee, to be willing to be maligned and thought ill of, to preference others' needs is more important than our own. Lord, all of this is nearly impossible. Would you give us supreme grace to follow you in this? We love you. Amen.